hateful, disgusting, Donald J. Trumpish thug that people just hate my guts. And, and that's exactly what I was going for. If people hate me, if people despise and loathe the sight of me, then I have done my job. Hello, everyone. I hope you're all having a wonderful day today. My name is Talal, and you are listening to the Popcorn and Soda Podcast, the show where we discuss all things movies, pop culture, and so much more. I want to thank each and every one of you for making me a small part of your day. On today's show, we're joined by a very special guest. He is one of the actors that is part of the pop culture phenomenon that has swept the world on its way to becoming the number one most watched series in Netflix history, Squid Game, the show in which financially strapped contestants are invited to participate in a series of children's games in order to win a massive cash prize, but at a deadly cost. Our guest today played VIP number four as part of the special group that bet on and watched the results of these games live. On the show today, the very talented Jeffrey Giuliano. How are you, Jeffrey? I'm fine, sir. Thank you. Thank you so much for coming to hang on the show today. And before we deep dive into all things Squid Game, how have you been over the last year, Jeffrey? We're living in such a crazy world. What did the last 18 months look like for you personally? Well, if you read the media, you'll see that I was stranded in India for six months. I took my son there for a two-week holiday so he could understand a little bit about Indian culture, which I'm involved in as a meditator and a, and a vegetarian, so forth. Uh, and so we went over there and they closed the airport without notice, long story short, and we were stranded there for six months waiting to be airlifted by the, ultimately by the Thai government back to, to Thailand. So that's, that's pretty much it in terms of travel. Other than that, I've been making movies. I made a movie uh, with Woody Harrelson uh, called Kate, which you can see on Netflix. And another one uh, just before that called Peninsula Train to Busan, also on Netflix, culminating in Squid Game. I'm so happy to see that you're doing well right now. And looks like you've been really busy over these last 18 months. And we're going to dive into all of that. I'm so fascinated by your story, Jeffrey. You're one of the very few people that can say they're part of a phenomenon that transcends language, race, ethnicity, and which ultimately, you know, in a world today, it really brought everyone together in this medium, especially your character, having one of those most memorable scenes in the show. So before yeah. Squid Game, where does this all begin for you? What were some of your early influences and what made you want to be in the creative arts? Well, I've been an actor for a long time. I'm over 60. I started when I was 12 in community theater in Tampa and um, acting has been my life. It's, it's, it's not a career as much as it is a kind of religion or a faith. I'm very, very serious actor. And I have been doing it so long. I'm classically trained. I have a master's degree in acting and directing from the State University of New York. I've done all the things you're supposed to do. Dinner theater, worked at a TV station, um, children's theater, um, crappy movies, big movies. You know, I, I've, it, it, I've lived this life and now it is only at this stage of my time in this material world that I've become successful um, thanks to 
being involved in Squid Game, which I thought was just another assignment. You know, I do a movie that people like me well enough, the public not so much, but I'm well regarded within the industry to the extent that they'll ask me to do another one. You know, one movie leads to the next. So I thought this will be that. You know, I, this is a pretty good part. They paid me a lot more money than normal. I was, you know, that was a little suspicious to me. But, you know, the hotel was about the same and it just seemed like same, same until this exploded. I don't think anyone, not the director, not Netflix, not anybody knew that this was going to take off to become sort of the Beatlemania of, uh, of films in 2021. 20, uh, that is so true. And uh, it's, if we have the benefit of hindsight throughout our conversation, we can look back and talk about certain things that may have tipped off that what you may have been doing is something that is special. And as you mentioned, being a veteran of this industry, I'm fascinated in terms of your trajectory as to when you started off, as to where we are today. Did you find it to be in many ways a roller coaster where you have the highs of the highs, lows of the lows? I wouldn't wish this on my worst enemy. This is, uh, you know, this is, it's been horrendous. Even if you're successful, it's horrendous. Each, each, each step you take as a excuse me, professional film actor presents new challenges. And most of them are difficult. You know, anonymity is difficult. Fame is difficult. Poverty is difficult. Wealth is difficult. So, you know, all these things, that's one of the reasons I'm a meditator that I, you know, I, unlike many, many others can step aside from my so-called career in this world. And I have a whole other sphere in which I um, am active, which has nothing to do with this. Uh, and, and that gives me a place where I can go and chill out and relax and then come back into the workplace and toil away and do what I have to do without a lot of attachment to the result of that. Because I'll tell you, I've seen people commit suicide over this. I've seen people become drug addicts over this. I've seen people, you know, ruin their lives over this, this, this mania to become some kind of a movie star. I am from the most unlikely uh, background. My father was a plumber. My mother was a housewife. There was not much education in my family. I'm the first in my family to go to university. And it was a, it was just, uh, it's impossible for this to have happened, but it has happened. And um, it's kind of like a car wreck of coincidence. And, and I indeed uh, um, am grateful for it. Let's start right into Squid Game. As I mentioned up top, the show is truly lightning in a bottle. The way it spread through word of mouth, social media, the online memes, what makes the show truly work are the universal themes, the contemporary issues the show tackles in the world we live in today, and of course, the amazing cast itself. When did you first come across the script? What was your original reaction to reading it? And do you recall meeting director Wang dong Yuk? It's interesting you can say his name. Listen, let me explain to you how I got into Squid Game. I was, was and am, because everything you do is eternal now because of the internet, uh, in Peninsula Train to Busan. I played a, what I always play, which is a bad guy, and which I love. And um, the director saw me, and they had looked all over the world for someone to play this. I have the biggest part of any Westerner in, in this. The other VIPs have yeah. quite small parts. They're, they're featured extras, you know, to be, to be honest. And to be very honest, they're featured extras. But I was, I'm principal cast. I'm just actually, I'm number 14 or something. So I'm just, got, I'm the last member of the principal cast. Actors pay attention to these things. So anyway, um, 
the director got in touch with me through an agent, the agent that had hired me for Train to Busan, Peninsula. And he saw Peninsula and he wanted me and they had looked at, I heard every actor in uh, Korea and a whole bunch in America and London and everywhere else. And, you know, he wanted me. I do have a kind of a, you know, I was raised in a nonviolent um, production of Goodfellas. I'm Sicilian and I had uh, uh, 12 uncles, uh, uh, Johnny, Vinny, uh, Joey, Tony, you know, Joey. And, and I saw all that, you know. So this kind of mafia thug thing, but usually a godfather a bit up there is baked in is baked in. I saw this as a little kid and wow, look at these people, you know, it was very unreal to me. But, you know, then years later when I saw Godfather, I said, well, that, that's how that was. That's my family, you know, no, but no crime. My father was a plumber, but still it was all the uncles and all that and the big family gatherings and stuff. So, you know, I, it's pretty easy. Actually, it's too easy for me to play a, a thug, a mafia Godfather. Um, I shouldn't get any credit for it, but people keep hiring me to do it, including the director of Squid Game. So um, they called me and there was quite a bit of negotiation and then ultimately, ultimately culminating in me going over there. Now, I have a house in Bangkok where I am now. And, you know, I had to quarantine two weeks when I got there and two weeks when I got back. So mm -hmm. I spent one month in prison to do this to do this particular show but you know it, um you know squid game look squid game is what you said but it's much more than that too you know there's a kind of it's an allegory in many ways for the fact that you know unbridled avarice consumerism materialism mm -hmm. uh, ultimately leads one to a, a bad end you know a, a shallow existence and uh, uh all the things that come from overdosing on any kind of things of uh, pursuits of this world that we're in temporary mm -hmm. world. So um, I think it's instructive in, in as much as it, it, had, it touches people at a level where they understand that, well, wait a minute, these people are willing to do anything to get money, you know, and if you've had money, I have, in my life, as you get older, you understand it doesn't really matter much at all. You know, I go to India and I see people living literally in straw huts and they're happy. There's a woman when I used to go to, to a certain temple for meditation, she used to get out and sweep the dirt every morning. And I thought, wow, what a look at that. And she was so happy and she'd always wave and she had flour in her hair. She was out there making sure the dirt was all in good order in front of her house. So it's not necessary to have anything in order to be happy. Those two things are not tied together. That's part of the disease of Western culture to think that they are. And unfortunately, that disease is now spread all over the world. And everybody, you know, people working themselves to death in Japan and hanging themselves if, by losing face if they if their sales report, you know, slumped one month, they go out in that forest, I don't know what it's called, where they all hang themselves, suicide forest. You know, it's just gotten so out of hand. And that, you know, drugs are just everywhere. You know, you, 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 you numb your pain with drugs, you work hard like a, like a, an ass, you know, there's a saying in India that a donkey or ass will work all day carrying loads of bricks. You'll see them on construction sites. They just load them up with bricks on, and most of them are quite old. And at the end of, and they do this all day in the hot Indian sun. And at the end of the day, 
they're given some grass, which is everywhere. The, you know, they're given some grass, which is everywhere anyway, and a bucket of water. Well, they didn't have to do all that work. They could just go eat the grass and drink the water out of the stream. So we're the same way. We're doing all this unnecessary hard work for no, no good end except our own ultimate downfall. That is what I take away from Squid Game. Hmm. That's really fascinating. And uh, you play one of those more memorable characters on the show as part of yeah, the VIPs. Who, who else invited. showed their ass? <laughs> who else showed their ass, man? I got the most. But on another, as my buddy said to me, hey, man, you didn't show your ass. You mooned the world. If you put in Jeffrey Giuliano's <laughs> ass, you can look on Google Images for the next, you know, two hours. So that, that was fun. That was fun and bizarre. Well, so that, hey, I think I look to be honest with you, I think that's what makes me memorable that I, <laughs> I showed my ass, you know, and a lot of people say, how could you do that? And I say, listen, when Netflix comes calling, you know, with a good film and it's part of the it's an integral part of the scene, what the, the director's vision. Yeah. So I did it. Well, you know what? I, I, I'm going to one up you on that. I think it's more than just that. And I think it's a testament to your great acting is you do such a great job of making everyone of being a, feel of so being uncomfortable. A, a, hate, a hateful, disgusting Donald J. Trumpish thug that people just hate my guts. And, and that's exactly what I was going for. If people hate me, if people despise and loathe the sight of me, then I have done my job. Well, hey, you took the words out of my mouth. So let's transition into that infamous scene in which our character uses his VIP privileges in an attempt to seduce one of the leads, the police informant. The tension and atmosphere created in this scene is just masterful. Again, you make the audience cringe and feel so uncomfortable during this entire scene. What do you remember the most about shooting the scene and specifically some of the difficulties of it? Normally, when you shoot a film, there's these sort of 35-year-old guys smoking a cigarette. They haven't shaved. They got kind of dirty long hair with a kind of band around and something in their ear and a clipboard. God punished me by putting beautiful, young, 22, 23-year-old girls as production assistants that day. So here I am, stark naked, naked, completely nude with all these beautiful young girls standing around. It was it, embarrassing, doesn't begin to encapsulate what I felt. Mortified, no, that's not enough. It's just beyond words how I felt and how uncomfortable I felt, but I, I had no choice. And I had, you know, actors when we're in any situation, look, I remember being in drama school and teacher said to us, look, if you get a call five minutes before you go on stage, that your family's been killed in a car accident, a train has hit the car, and they're all dead. You don't run off, you do the show, but you use that. You, we have the power to use what's happening in our environment at any given time and transmute it and give it feeds and gives energy and fuel to what we're doing as performers. And that's what I did. One thing that's so fascinating about the show is the portrayal of these VIPs. And a lot has been said about the dialogue and a lot of the over-the-top stereotypes that it's portrayed in the show. Now, it's kind of, in many ways, a clash of Western civilization meets Eastern civilization and how certain characters and cultures are depicted in Korea, 
versus your traditional North American acting. It had very much of that Johnny America feel to it. It's over the top, the character, like it, it feels like in many ways, a parody of what yeah. an Eastern person would think a Westerner is in many ways. Can you speak 100%. on that a little bit? Mm-hmm. Well, I know how to act in movies, okay? It's, it's something I've picked up along the way, something I, there's a natural pro- proclivity which I have, but on top of that, I've been properly trained and I know how to do this. Um, and, 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 you know, there's been some talk in the media that we, that we were bad or we don't know how to act or something. Well, I invite anyone to go to jeffreygiuliano.com, go to cinema and look at my other clips. I've made all kinds of movies and most of them adhere, all of them adhere to the Western style naturalistic acting genre. However, this was a Korean K-drama. Nobody spoke English. They probably wrote the script on Google Translate. Uh, The director didn't speak to us at all. Um, Not even hello, maybe hello. And, and, And we were just told to go in there and wing it. You know, there was, I was sitting in that hotel for three weeks. They could have held rehearsals. They could have had informal dinners. We could have hung out, the, the Western guys, we could have hung out and gone over the script and we would have found those bugs in the script and fixed them. But we weren't, you know, look, like, you know, I hate to use this analogy and I won't say the, the N-word, not the N-word you think, it's another one. We were just following orders. We were hired by Netflix to bring to life the director's words and vision. And we did so absolutely unequivocally, except that the acting style of of Asia is diametrically opposed to the acting style of the Western world, which is the sort of Godfather two naturalistic two guys talking in a bar, drinking coffee and not doing too much. Maybe they lift an eyebrow. But here it's exaggerated. It's it's cartoonish. It's character. it's, It's a bigger, it's larger than life. I reckon rightly that the VIP's depiction in this series was absolutely akin to all of the characters in Stanley Kubrick's Clockwork Orange. Everybody, everybody in that is exaggerated. You know, the prison guard, it doesn't matter, the woman giving the milk in the Kuvara milk bar, everybody, Kubrick wanted people to act in a kind of caricature. The most uh, ridiculous extreme would be Boss Hogg and the Dukes of Hazard. This kind of like, oh, yeah, well, what are you guys doing here? You know, that kind of cartoonish thing. It wasn't that bad, but it was definitely meant to be what it was. We performed exactly what we were hired as employees and mandated to do. When I tried to ad lib, which I almost always do in films, case in point, you can see on my website, jeffreygiuliano.com, my film Peninsula, Train to Busan, I made pretty much made that up based on a skeletal structure of the, the script. But this guy who was the writer director, and this always happens with a writer director, they don't want you to change a word. Why? Because you don't write scripts, you bleed them. So this guy, even though he doesn't speak English, sat there and bled out what he thought we should say. And what did he think we should say? He thought that I should make two jokes about 69. Come on, you know? But I had no, Tom Cruise can show up in a movie set and say, I don't like this script. This is bullshit, I'm throwing it out. I can't do that. 98%, 99.9% of the actors are grateful to have a job and we certainly can't do that. So. I know you didn't ask me about this, but it's on my mind right now because I've been reading all day what a horrible actor I am. But I got to tell you this, I'm also on the cover of Newsweek. 
And the headline is Jeffrey Giuliano Global Star. So if, if a few punters out there are going to complain about my acting when it's there's a whole lifetime of work, which belies the notion that this notion. When you uh, balance that against the fact that I've become incredibly well-known, famous, I guess, millions of people knowing, constantly getting in touch with all kinds of offers and films and so forth, I'll take it. I'll take it. You want to think I'm a bad actor? I know I'm not. There's plenty of clips to prove it. Um, I'm from, ironically, I'm from the school of supernaturalistic understated actors. Now, my personality might not be understated, but don't confuse that with the work. Um, yeah, just, just go to the cinema section of jeffreygiuliano.com and you can watch all my performances and judge for yourself. So it's not that I'm being defensive, but I want people to understand that Korean drama is a cat. American drama cinema is a dog. A cat and a dog are both animals, but they're not the same. This, it's kabuki. You know, it's a very, I mean, if you look, I remember seeing kabuki in college and say, what the hell is this? Well, this is, this is acting in Japan, man. This is a tradition of acting. Uh, so uh, Kathakali dancing in India, where they do all this, you know, they have these big, it's just a different, it's a very different culture. I live in Bangkok where it's a little bit different culture, but Korea mm -hmm. is like, Oh, it's weighed. I couldn't even get anything to eat for three weeks. You know, I'm a vegetarian and they get like, what's a vet? What? You don't eat what? So, and, and they, nobody spoke English, but listen, I'll tell you something that I tell all young actors. It's an old joke amongst old actors like me, which is how do you make an actor complain? Give them a job. So I ain't complaining, baby. You know, I'm on the cover of Newsweek. It says I'm a global star. That's their words, not mine. It's crazy in my mind, but I'll take it. Um, and I, I taught, I discussed this today by way of, uh, you know, clarification, instruction to younger actors and so forth. Another thing that I must say, if you'll forgive me for filibustering a bit, um, is that an actor, a good actor must be like a good fireman. Now the fireman goes to the station and he makes sure his hoses are in good working order, his, his boots are there ready to slip on, and you know, he's all, but there's no fire. Mm -hmm. There's no fire today, tomorrow, the next day, next week, next month. But when that fire comes, he's got to be ready. He's got to jump into those shoes and get on that thing and get out there and put that fire out and bring the people out of the burning building. So preparation must meet opportunity in order to find success. So it's not that we're a little bit like firemen, we're exactly like firemen. Actors are firemen waiting for that opportunity of a fire that generally never comes, but when it does, you have to be ready. So my fire has come. At this age, vener venerable age over 60, to, to be a kind of on the world stage. And, uh, and I'm ready for that, I think. Look, I'm an actor. And most of what we all do is in obscurity. We do it because we love it. We do it because we're compelled. We do it because we really can't do much of anything else. And we've given our lives to it. Now I'm an old man. I was a young man. And, and it's, so, it's so much a part of who I am. But we have uh, lived our lives 
doing these jobs, doing these films, I've made 28 and lots of theater and so, for years and years and years. But I had no expectation that there would ever be any real acceptance with the public like this, you know. Look, I get fan mail. I, a lady asked me for my autograph. I sent it to her. And then maybe a day later, she showed me her arm where she'd had my oh, name wow. tattooed on her arm. <laughs> I guess maybe that's something from another generation. I don't know, but that's just bizarre to me. Um, you know, Robert De Niro once said that a good actor shouldn't be paid any more than a good plumber. Um, you know, the plumber goes in and does his best to, to do the job, and so do we. But there's this mystification of actors that were some sort of celestial beings that, you know, impart this storytelling fairy dust on, on everybody. And it, it, yeah, that's part of it. But, you know, we're no more mystical than a good plumber, you know. So I'll... Another thing Robert De Niro said, he said, you know, he was questioned about why he gets so many millions of dollars for a movie. And he said, listen, I didn't make any movie for years and years and years. And it impacted my family, my children. You know, we, yeah, and me too. So now there's some good things happening about in that arena. And I just consider it back pay. Now, was this show shot during COVID specifically? Yeah. And even, yeah. yeah. So what was the procedure and the process for you as a creative artist having to shoot under these strict restrictions and specifically for a scene like that? And just even generally all your scenes, do you find it, did you find it just more difficult overall in terms of expressing yourself or was it in many ways just another gig? Well, you know, we have to turn it on at a moment's notice. Uh, we all had to wear masks. And just before that camera was ready to roll, we would take it off and hand it to somebody. Simple there as was... that. Eh? So, so the show comes out. It instantly catches fire. It's an overnight sensation. Most watched Netflix show of all time. The property is worth an estimated $900 million for Netflix, allegedly. Subscriber counts are at an all-time high. We have the benefit of hindsight. And I'm always fascinated when I speak to creatives that are part of these phenomenons. Can you ever really know during production that what you're doing is special? No. No. No, especially as everybody was running around speaking Korean. You know, I had no idea what was going on. They keep you in a little room. You, you, you said something about me reading the script. I never got the script. I got oh. what's called my sides. I got my mm -hmm. sides because of security issues and this kind of thing. They don't like to give the script out. So I got my pages, 20 pages it was, with storyboards. And I didn't know anything about what that movie was. We were kept in a room. We had handlers. You know, they had little things in their ear. And uh, Mr. Giuliano to the set. Oh, Mr. Giuliano, would you like to come now to the set, sir? And then you do. And then they take you back to the little room to wait some more. I mean, ultimately, I just waited on the set and watched stuff. But, um, you know, it was that was I actually fell asleep. You know, when I'm sitting there in that uh, sofa for a long time. Right. You know, and then I fell asleep and I was so embarrassed when I woke up. And I said, oh, I'm sorry. I fell Not during the not during my scene, <laughs> but, but, but in between, there's always hours, you know, it's hurry up and wait when you make a movie. So I, I uh, fell asleep and I woke up and I said, oh, I'm sorry. I'm sorry. No, no, go ahead, sleep. <laughs> okay, you know, but it was really embarrassing. Um, uh, it's, uh, 
you know, you come in and you stay there for eight to 12 hours and you're acting for, in my case, a couple hours a day or something like that. The rest of the time, you're just hanging around. That's why there's no excuse for people not to know their lines. I always keep the script with me right up to the minute I shoot, I hand it to the production assistant. I'm just, I don't want to screw up those lines. I have some kind of phobia about that. You know, you must, 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 must know your lines. In fact, someone asked Anthony Hopkins his best advice for an actor. And he said, learn your lines because you can't color anything. If you don't know the lot, if you don't know your lines, mm -hmm. you know, you, 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 if you want to do something extra or add, you have to be, you can't be reaching for the next word. Yeah, that's that's so true. And I feel like that's a common thread in all a lot of the conversations I've had with so many different creative artists in whether it's behind the camera or front of the camera. It's about being a professional and just showing up and controlling the controllables when you're on a set. And especially in something like this, where it sounds like the majority of the cast and crew did not speak a word of English. And not here you are. Yeah. And here you are in this role, along with a couple other VIPs as well that are kind of just thrown in there to kind of go along with whatever the story notes are, your slides. It's overall just looking back at the experience. How did you find the overall scope of what you were actually doing? Did you think that it was just bizarre world or since you've had so much experience in other Korean properties and other types of TV shows and movies, was it just almost just felt natural to you? No, it was a hostile environment. That doesn't mean everybody was impolite. It just means that you're in Korea where they want to give you Korean food. They don't know what a vegetarian is. Um, there's nobody's really speaking English except a couple of people who are assigned to you that don't have any clout. So if I had a question about the script, they, they just kind of shrugged their shoulders, you know, um, it was, yeah, so understand what I mean by hostile environment. It, does, it doesn't mean what exactly those words might define. It means that, you know, it was a very foreign situation and we were physically isolated and there wasn't any preparation. I, that I don't understand because I was sitting in that hotel for three weeks and I could have met with those. I could have, I could have met with people at any time. Uh, for rehearsal or read-throughs or something. I, I don't like that about movies. It's, you know, that, that's more of a, the, that's a theater thing. It is a theater thing. But um, there's some idea in movies that you can't rehearse, you know, and, and, and everything would be so much better if in fact you could. Just a moment. Honey, can you be quiet? Thanks. Sorry, go ahead. All good. Yeah, that's so true, especially from a perspective of an actor as yourself, who's been in the industry for decades, you've kind of seen the yin and the yang to everything and all the different forms of acting, the different mediums. Now, one thing that has kind of been a thread about our conversation so far is about how this show kind of blew up out of nowhere and how overnight it just became a sensation worldwide. It's so interesting to see a lot of the stories that have come out about the director, Wang Dong-yuk's struggles to get this made and the decade-long battles for him to finally be given an opportunity by Netflix to get the show made. As someone who's been in the industry as long as yourself, there's this paradox almost where you don't see the 10 years prior the five years prior, the years prior before that one thing lands. And in this case is what, like less than 10 hours long, this entire series. Can you talk a little bit about the life of an actor in terms of acceptance and in terms of having sometimes not knowing that anyone's ever going to see your struggle. And it's more so just about the finished product. 
I, I had fairly recently said to myself, okay, it's not going to happen for you. You've worked hard. You've done some good work. It's all there on the internet. If anybody wants to see it, you can be proud of the fact that you're from a, an anonymous family in a, from a small town in uh, upstate New York. Um, but you're not going to be a movie star. You're not going to have a, a, a wide influence on uh, people. You're not going to touch people. You're going to, you know, just kind of maybe you'll make at your age, maybe you'll make four or five new movies and, and that's it. Um, and I had kind of resigned myself to that. You know, I thought, okay, well, yeah, it's it, Jeff, it's, it's not going to happen, but a good try. It's just not going to, and then it happened. <laughs> yeah. So I woke yeah. up this morning. I'm, a, I'm on the cover of Newsweek magazine. So they tell me, you know, I mean, what, what, you know? And uh, so, uh, you know, I, I don't know what I'm astounded. I, I'm sure it's like being in the Beatles when they were on that plane coming to America in 1964 to appear in the Ed Sullivan show. Paul McCartney was all depressed and Phil Spector said to him, what's the matter? He said, well, you know, America's got everything. What, why would they want us? We're just a scruffy rock band, you know? And then, so you, you don't know. I mean, you know, people in Hiroshima were just, you know, going about their business <laughs> and someone dropped a nuclear weapon on them. So I feel that like someone's dropped a nuclear weapon on me of publicity and opportunity and criticism and praise. So, you know, the other actors, the other two actors, the, John and Daniel, they're having like a tough time dealing with it. Not me, not me. I'm much older than them. And I'm, I'm ready for whatever happens. You know, I, I, I've been waiting for this moment all my life. And I don't, now I don't know when that, now with the paranoia, how long is it going to last? Will it last enough to get me like a TV series, a, some, a big agent? I think I got a big agent. Um, you know, what's it going to do for me? It's here, but how's it going to transform my life? But I've had to say to myself just today, stop, just stop. All right. You, the, your road has taken you this far. Have some faith in the process, you know? So that, <laughs> that's it. Well, hey, when you have something this big, you know Netflix is going to throw all the money it can for a sequel. And if that is the case, what would you personally like to see? Like there's talks out there about a prequel to the show, showcasing the past depictions of the game or the origins of it, or a direct sequel picking up where we leave off with our main character, Jihan. My dream scenario of uh, a sequel to Squid Game would be that the VIPs are not allowed to leave and are made to play the game. In fact, it may have been a ruse to get them there so that they could bring them in, pull them in, because you know, seeing peasants play the game is, yeah, but seeing these overstuffed, fat-assed, uh, VIP jerks uh, have to endure this humility, uh, uh, humiliating experience of playing this game would be, I think, very interesting. Yeah, that's a different take than what I've seen personally myself, and I think it could well, be of course, I, I want to be in. I want to be in. I want to be in the second show. So of course, <laughs> I want the VIPs to be stars of that. Well, hey, you, know? you were the whistleblower on that show and the in the first season, right? You were the reason he got you on the phone with all the stuff, and that's kind of a cliffhanger as well. We don't really know what happened with the phone with the video. So. Isn't that weird? And then they said when I was unconscious, they said, "Is he alive?" And they said, "Yes, he's." He's just knocked out. 
Now, let me tell you what I'm doing tomorrow. I've just for fun. Everybody keeps saying season two is season two. Well, you don't have to wait for season two because I've hired a film crew and I've written a little script. And tomorrow I'm going to pick it up from where I was unconscious on the floor <laughs> and what happens next. Nice. Uh, you know, I have a friend who writes for the Simpsons cartoon and he, Gary Apple, and he wrote, he called me and he said, Hey man, this is what you need to do for sure. You need to pick it up and just do a scene, which, you know, do a scene. And that's what I'm doing. So if you, if you're wondering what might happen, what could happen, I, as one of the cast, I'm going to just take you a little bit farther down the road with this scene that I'm just doing myself with a film crew coming tomorrow. As being a person that's part of the cast, when you watched it for the first time, did you like the show? No, not really. I don't think it's very extraordinary. I think it's predictable. Um, I mean, you ask me, I have to tell you. But I, I you know, my thinking is very skewed. I, I, I'm really interested in uh, this genre doesn't personally appeal to me. I understand that, look, if there were no COVID, there would be no Squid Game in my estimation. Everybody's stuck at home. Everybody has a sort of dystopian view of life now. People have died. People are dying. You know, there's no the money is scarce. Yeah. You can't go. So this is a perfect time to drop. I mean, perfect. I don't know how it'll how it'll work on the psychology of people. Probably not very well. But it's a perfect time for people to have an interest in something so dark. Um, it's a, you know, my wife calls it a teenage movie. You know, it's 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 hardly any. You know, uh, uh, I don't know Barry Lyndon from Stary, Stanley Kubrick or something like that. No, it 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 it's a kind of a teenage slasher film uh, with the exotic setting of Korea, but it's already been there with Hunger Games. I was asked to make a movie years ago called Devil's Playground, where rich idiots would hunt humans within a kind of perimeter somewhere in Africa or something for fun, for sport. So this is not a new idea, um, but, you know, and I don't, it costs $21 million to make. You know, that's nothing, don't you? That's absolutely nothing, you know? Um, but of course, now we're going to have to live through and endure a million Squid Game imitations for the next three to five years, I would assume. You know, because everybody's going, oh, Jesus, they make, you know, people do this to make money, you know, um, producers, that's why they do it, you know. And so I think it's, I know that there's going to be a lot of imitators out there, and I hope that they all call me. <laughs> so <laughs> what's next for Jeffrey Giuliano? We spoke a lot about your continuation that you're going to be filming yourself. What's the next role you'd like to play? Is there something you're well, currently working on? Yeah, I yeah, no, no. I've had several offers. I've just been offered a movie called Private Dancer, which is about a uh, the expat or sexpat scene in Bangkok, where these guys who are kind of, you know, unrequited and from a bad situation somehow 
migrate to Bangkok and get involved with these bar girls, prostitutes who take him for a ride and there's murder and intrigue. And another one, I forgot the name, I'm to play the vice president of the United States that's yeah. uh, uh, involved with, a, I was in Vietnam as a tunnel rat and suddenly everybody who's left alive is ending up dead in a very kind of obscene way that I won't mention here. And um, certain things are stuffed in their mouth and their, you know, their throats are cut. And there's a, it's a mystery. And then I refuse being the vice president of the United States. I think I'm a candidate. I'm not sure I'm actually the vice president. I'm running for president or vice president. Anyway, some, something like that, one or the other. And that I can't be involved in this in deference to my political career, but yet it, it comes to visit me. This horror comes to visit me as well. So that's two movies. There's another movie I'm up for, a French movie where I'll play the Admiral of the Fleet, very similar to the time frame and genre of Master and Commander with Russell Crowe. So yeah, and there's a couple more. So of course I'm getting offers. Well, that's great. I feel like your phone must be just blowing up, especially after this show came out. Everyone wants a piece of it. And it's almost like whatever the it thing is at the time. And as you mentioned, there's going to be so many other imitations of this show. And who even knows? I'm sure here in North America, they're going to try to make their own version of it or anything. Yeah, it's just the way the industry works. See, you have see if, if, it's, if, if, if they do an imitation and it's, and it's a failure, they'll only make $300 million, you know? <laughs> so it's like the producers, ah, it didn't do it too well. We only made three, they made 900, we made 300. So there's so much money there that of course they're just, it's all rolling right now. Oh, I got another offer for a film in New Orleans. Mm, I don't even know what it's about, but I'll tell you what, I don't take, I'm not taking small parts anymore you know, or supporting roles. Either they give me the star part or I'm just going to stay at home. I've paid my dues. I don't think you've ever talked to an actor that's paid as much dues as me. You know, it almost didn't happen. That's how much dues I paid, you know. Uh, so if I'm going to be best newcomer at over 60, um, then I, I want a good part. For me to get up and leave my son and wife and, and go out somewhere and stay in some hotel room staring at the wall between shoots uh, you gotta you gotta give me a, you gotta give me a reason you have to give me an incentive and it's not financial it's just i want to do some big parts you know I, I did two starring parts before but both of those movies never came out for legal reasons that had nothing to do with me one a beautiful french film uh, which i played that head of the cia so i it's it's a heartbreaking affair and and i if anybody deserves anything in this world I deserve to do the kind of work that I've, I'm ready to do and I've always wanted to do and I've prepared myself over a lifetime to do. Well, hey, Jeffrey, let's plug all your social media and where everyone can find you because uh, that's something you do deserve. I'm, I'm happy for the success of everyone on the show. And I, I'd love for anyone watching this wants to reach out to you. Where can they find you online? Well, you can come to Jeffrey Giuliano, G-E-L-F-F-R-E-Y-G-I-U-L-I-A-N-O on facebook you can meet me on instagram my name there is jeffrey actor g-e-o-f-f-r-e-y-a-c-t-o-r and there's all the ways to contact me there now if you'd really like to see my work or know something about my work and more about squid game you can go to my website which is brand new and really good 
it's jeffreygiuliano.com, G-E-O-F-F-R-E-Y-G-I-U-L-I-A-N-O. And if you go to the contact page, especially if you're a producer, you can see all my phone numbers and my all the ways to, to contact me. Um, TikTok is there. I think it's, it's called Squid Game Confidential. And you can find me there as well. Beautiful. That's amazing. Oh, and my, and my, uh, sorry, 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 my YouTube channel. My YouTube channel is the Jeffrey Giuliano channel. Bam. That's amazing. As you wrap up with the great Jeffrey Giuliano, it is now time for a segment I call the final act. Jeffrey, I'm going to ask you 10 rapid fire questions about your likes, your dislikes. I just want the first thing that pops in your mind, but here's the okay. catch. We're going to try to get through them in 60 seconds or less. Okay, go. You up for it? Yeah. No. Movies or TV shows? Movies. Theater or watch at home? Theater. Favorite movie? Godfather 2. Favorite TV show? I don't watch TV. I make it. <laughs> Favorite trilogy? Godfather. One sequel better than the original, not named Godfather Part 2. I don't know. I don't know. <laughs> Favorite Squid Game character besides yourself? Um, uh, the, the, the unattractive girl that had sex with the guy who smokes the cigarette. Did you cry or shed a tear during episode six? No. No? Nah? No. Nah, all right. <laughs> Were you as shocked as the rest of us? You know, because I didn't ending? watch it. Because I haven't watched episode six. That's why. Uh, all right, all right. We'll all right hurry up. Now. We got to do 60 seconds. All right. Were you shocked? Well, this one, I guess, wouldn't count for you. because I was going to ask, were you as shocked as the rest of us by the ending? No, I don't know the ending. Look, I'm a narcissistic actor. I just watched myself, man. You don't know how this shit works. <laughs> <laughs> Lastly, describe Squid Game in one word. Unexpected. Bam. That was awesome. Jeffrey, thank you so much for being a guest on the show today. And Thanks. thank you for your contributions to the creative arts. I, like millions worldwide, absolutely adore the show. And your work on the show is a part of that. I truly wish you all the best. And I look forward to having you back on the show to discuss your next project. Thank you so much. It's been my pleasure.